Brothers and sisters, it's my great privilege to be with you this evening and uh, the next uh, few nights through Wednesday evening. Would you take your Bible tonight and turn to the book of Psalms, Psalms 85. While you're turning there, I just want to take a moment to uh, thank you so much for uh, leading us in worship this evening. I'm trying to tamp down everything that's inside. I feel like starting in fifth gear already. I mean, I am already wound up trying to hold it down. I really appreciate that and and just a great sense of humility and love for the Lord and desire uh, to serve Him. And uh, thank you uh, so much. I want to say to uh, Cedar Street, uh, thank you so much for inviting me and allowing me to come and share God's Word with you these next few nights. I know that you have um, that you've been praying for revival and uh, many cottage prayer meetings and and in my own heart and life we've been praying for uh, the last several months that the Lord would bless and that uh, he would be honored and glorified and that God would work salvation into the hearts of the lost and revival into the hearts of those who believe. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you what, let's get right to it tonight. Uh, Let me read these verses for Psalm 85. Verse 1 down through verse number 13. I'm going to read this psalm for us. Tonight we'll uh, take the whole uh, psalm in context, but we'll really be focusing on verse number 6 and kind of even sang a song as a a corporate body about this a little while ago. So you pay special attention to that when we get through. Psalm 85, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. The Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all of their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. And put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For He will speak peace to His people, to His saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we worship the Lord? Our Father, we do come to You now as we begin the revival this evening. Thank You for a wonderful day in the Lord. Great uh, music this morning. And I worship with Your people. Pray together. Give together. Listen to the Word. And then fellowship afterward. And Father, this evening, uh, a little touch of heaven as we listen to some beautiful music and we get caught up in worshiping without inhibition, our Father and the Son and the Spirit of God, we love You and we thank You for all that You've done. Father, I pray that in the next few moments of time You would help every heart underneath the sound of my voice to focus. Lord, that our phones would be put away. 
that our iPads would be turned off, that our thoughts would not be focused upon work in the morning or dinner in a little while, but that if we truly want to see the reviving powers of Jesus Christ, that we would focus with all of our attention just for a few moments on Your Word. We believe that it is inerrant and infallible and inspired, that it is the holy Word of the living God. And so now we pray that the God of heaven would take the Word of the living God by the Spirit of God and move upon the people of God that we might be conformed to the image of God. We love you. We thank you in advance for what you will do tonight. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we do pray. Amen. Growing up, I would go to revival services and my father would preach and uh, everybody kind of had a, a different understanding of what they thought the purpose of revival was. Uh, some people thought that uh, you know the purpose of revival was uh, to have uh, the greatest amount of numbers in your church. And other people thought that maybe the purpose of revival was to have uh, a whole bunch of people get saved. And I, I've known others who might have thought that the purpose of revival was to people to give up their liquor bottles and people to stop smoking and people of bars to shut down. And all of these expectations when it comes to what the purpose of revival is. But brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this evening that that is not the purpose of revival. That may be the overflow. That may be the consequence. That may be what happens as what happens in our own heart. But true revival is found in verse number 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. The purpose of revival is that God's people would cast down and break down the idols of our hearts. And you may be here tonight and you think, well, I don't have an idol. Yes, you do. It's in your wallet. It's in your purse. It's that little plastic thing that you buy, you know. It doesn't come on a totem pole. It doesn't come uh, maybe as you might think around the world. But every person in this room has idols in your life. Some of you it may be sports. Some of you it may be hunting. Some of it may be gossiping with your friends in church. Some of it might be a relationship. But I assure you, you have an idol in your life that is taking the place of Jesus Christ. And every time that idol takes the place of Jesus Christ, you are not serving Him and following Him and loving him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you are in need of revival. Amen. One of my favorite uh, characters from church history is a man named Christmas Evans, right? And uh, you might be thinking that's a wonderful name. Christmas Evans in the uh, Welsh revivals of 1904, he was a young man in a Bible college. And uh, he was studying and a uh, Presbyterian minister, right, came to the college and preached. And Christmas Evans' heart got filled with God. I mean, just overflowing. He made God the center of his life and the Lord Jesus the dominant theme of his life. And uh, he began stirring and night after night he wouldn't sleep. And he went to the dean of his college and he said, I've got to go back to my hometown. Because I have to go back and share with these people what God has done in my heart. And Christmas Evans went home on leave from the dean of students. And he went to his pastor and he said, I want to have a service. I want to have a revival service. And so the pastor kind of uh, placating him and just, you know, making him feel uh, uh, like he was important, but not really thinking much of it, said, well, why don't you have a Thursday evening service? And so he did. And about eight people came. 
And he preached on Jesus. And he preached on the casting down of idols. And so the next night the pastor let him preach. And God began to move. And by the three or third or fourth night, there were several hundred people moving into that chapel and listening to the Word of God being preached. And God was moving on the lives and the souls of men and women and boys and girls. So much so that on one of the last nights of the revival, it was so packed and people were hanging out the windows that Christmas Evans could not even get into the church. Finally, he worked his way down through the crowd and they were singing upwards toward midnight. And he got up there and he said, is Jesus in this place? And all of the people said, yes, Jesus is in this place. Christmas Evans said again, is Jesus in this place? And all of the people roared that night upwards toward midnight saying, yes, Jesus is in this place. And again, he would say, is Jesus in this place? And they all said that Christ is with us in our midst. And he said, then you have no need of me to be here any longer. For when Christ is the center of your heart and your life, You have need of no other idol. So let me take this passage apart for you a little bit. And we'll look at verse number 6. And see what the Lord would do for the people in this room tonight. Would you join me? This passage is broken up into three sections. Past, present, and future. So I want you to look with me if you would at verse number 1 through 3. And notice what God has done for His people in the past. Look what it says. Lord, You were, past tense, You were favorable to the land. You restored, past tense, the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of Your people and You covered all of their sins. You withdrew all of Your wrath and You turned from Your hot anger. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to us tonight, aren't you glad that Jesus has saved us from our sins? Amen? That He has washed us by the blood of the Lamb at Calvary. That Jesus rose from the grave and all of the just wrath of God that belongs on your life and belongs on my life. I'm the one that should be hanging from the cross. I am the one that belongs in hell. It is my sin to put Christ upon the cross and Jesus has paid for all of it. Amen? I tell you tonight, Christ has redeemed us by His mercy and His love and His kindness. Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. Revival begins when God's people begin to dust off the past. and Maybe there was a day in your life where Jesus truly saved you. You need to take yourself back tonight to that place. Maybe the years have rolled up and calloused your life. Maybe you have sin that has crept in. Maybe it's been a while since you have remembered that God has forgiven you. I want you to understand that Jesus saved us from our sins. Maybe you're here tonight and you joined a church when you were 10 or 12 and you went down with your buddies. I want you to understand that joining a church saves no one. Maybe you're here uh, this evening and you've been baptized in these waters. I want you to understand that baptism saves no one. Salvation is not a matter of a sentimentality of the heart. Salvation isn't even getting all stirred up and having an emotion. Salvation is when you come to grips in your life that you have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the just 
wrath of God belongs on you. My dear friend, I tell you, if you die without Christ tonight, you'll enter into a Christless eternity and a burning hell and the wrath of a living God justly on your soul. But I talk to believers tonight. And I come to you this evening as a pastor. So I have brothers and sisters that sit in my pews each week just like you. And you may, you may have an expectation tonight that I would rip and roar and we would all shout, but I want God to do business in your heart. And what I want you to understand is God may have redeemed you at some time in your life and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you are arrogant and prideful and if you have gossip going on in your life and if you're being mean to your neighbor and if you have sickening things on your computer screen and your iPhone and you do things that your wife would never want you to do and you treat your children like trash or you treat your mom and dad like trash, I am telling you, you have sin in your life. Tonight, you need to confess those things and come back to the glory of God that has redeemed you. Are you rejoicing tonight in what God did for you years ago? Maybe it's not a sin issue with you. Maybe somebody in here tonight, you have so much suffering and pain and heartache in your life. And rather than looking to what Christ has done and trusting for what He will do tomorrow, you are so swallowed up in the pain and suffering of your moment that you can't see clearly. I want you to go back tonight. And I want you to remember with hot tears on your cheeks and a mind that takes you back and remember that Jesus loved you enough to die for you, to give His Son, to die for your sins, that you might have eternal life. Amen? I want you to see this center section. And we'll just spend a few minutes here. Look at what it says in verse number 4. You'll notice that He changes tone from past tense to the present. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation. And put away Your indignation toward us. Will You bring angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? And would you follow with me? Just look at this verse and allow me to explain it for you. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Let me give you four or five points from this verse this evening on revival. First of all, look at what it says. Will you? If you want to have revival in your soul, if you want God to really do something in this church at Cedar Street, and your church, my brother, and all of the churches in this collective county, if you want God to do a work, it must begin with us pleading and calling. It's a calling out to God. Will you? Not us. Not what we can build. Not our programs. Not our abilities. Not our skill sets. My brothers and sisters, you are some of the most fantastic singers. And whoever's playing the drums, brother, man. I'm telling you, I'm put a little skip in your step for Jesus. Amen. I want you to understand this evening that all of our ability and all of our skill set and all that we do will not bring revival. It must be the hearts and the souls of the men and the women in this place. Listen, the powers of darkness must be pushed back. All that's going on in our souls must be pushed back. And I am asking tonight, will you call out to God for revival? Will you seek and long and look and want Him to do something in your midst? Let me ask you this. If God 
was to do a work in this church, would you want him to do it so bad that you'd be willing to miss Monday night football and come back here tomorrow night? Now, you know what? There's a lot of people saying amen, but I promise you around 8 o'clock tomorrow night, there's a lot of you that won't. Will you call to God tonight to do something in your marriage, to do something in your heart, to long for Him, to love Him, to give everything that you've got to Jesus? Matter is going to hell. Don't you feel it? Don't you want something in your soul? As a believer, don't you long for something more? Oh man, my heart is burning. I want God to do something. Yes, I've been saved. But man, there's times in my life where I grow cold and weak and wounded. I want a fresh work. I want a revival in my soul. I want a restoration in my heart. I want something that conquers the sin that besets my life. I want something that gives me the joy of the Lord. You want to know what I want? I want the kind of power of God on my life that Jesus had on the Mount of Transfiguration where He comes down and the glory is so much that they can't look in the face of Jesus. You say, that's Jesus. What about Moses? Moses' face shined so much when he came down from the mountain. They had to put a Kroger sack on his head so they couldn't look at him. You say, well, that's Moses in the Old Testament. That's Jesus. What about Stephen in the book of Acts? Doesn't the Bible say that when they picked up the stones to stone him, that the glory of God was shining on him? Have you ever been around somebody that loved Jesus? My dear brother took me over this afternoon to meet Larry and Mary Guido. And just sitting in the room with that brother, don't you just feel like God's power is on him? There's a holiness and a love and a joy. And you know what? The sad thing is, you know, there's not a lot of holiness and joy and goodness and mercy in our lives. Sometimes we're a bunch of crusty old people. We just mean. Right? And I just just stopped preaching and started meddling. That's what I did. Unless all the old people get mad at me. And what about, what about you? Some of you young people, instead of being filled with the Spirit of God, you check out and, fly, and flip-flop on everything. You can't be faithful to church. You can't be faithful to teach a Sunday school. Why? Because you want to do a whole bunch of other things instead of having the love of Jesus in your heart and building up a community to the glory of God. Hey, I'm telling you, it says, listen, will you not yourself revive us again? Do you have a plea and a call and a long... I'm asking, listen, I know you do revival every year. And I, I mean, you may never ask this brother back to anything. You may leave here tonight and say, that's a weirdo. But I'm just telling you in the bottom of my heart, I'm just tired of playing church. I'm tired of playing church in Raleigh. I'm tired of playing church in my... Hey, I ain't even talking to you. I'm preaching it myself. I'm tired of playing church. I want something real and right and good. I want God to transform my life. Do you want that? Are you willing tonight to pray and call to Him and confess what's going on in your life? Do you want God to do something for you? Look what it says there. Will you that's an emphatic you there. Uh, really, if you, could, if you could read this, it says will you not yourself it doesn't read well in English, but that's the way it's supposed to be. Will, will you not yourself? The call here is not for me to bring you revival. It's for Him to bring. God is the author of revival. Amen? Hey, we can put ourselves in position. We can get out there on the water and lift the sails. But it is the sweet Spirit of God that blows where He's going to blow. 
He's the one that we're calling to. You don't need uh, the bigger this and the better that. You don't need all of those things. We just need our hearts to be humble and to call out for the God of heaven to do something wonderful and glorious. Amen. Can I give you something that you don't want to hear tonight? We want God to do a special work of revival in these next few nights in our hearts. Amen? But I want to tell you something. The next 52 Sundays, God will be in this place doing a work. Where will you be? Revival doesn't happen in a moment. Revival happens in a life. I don't know how many people I know are flashes in the pan. They come into church and their life is ruined and they walk into the office and say, Preacher, help me. And I say, Listen, are you reading the Bible? No, let's start. Are you praying? No, let's start. Are you coming to church? No, let's start. Are you giving to God? No, let's start. And I'll tell you what, the next five, six months, they're loving their wife. They're making it to church. God is blessing. Job is blessing. Things are moving. Revival is happening. And then they think they can handle it on their own. And that cycle happens again. They leave the Word. They leave prayer. They leave church. They leave the community. They leave off giving to God. They leave off telling people about Jesus. And they find themselves right back down in the valley again. We want God to do a work. Amen? But I want you to know that the work that God does, it might be a moment tonight in your heart where you turn to Him and the lights go off and you give Him everything. It might be that God wants you to just show back up every night and next week and next week and next week and to grow incrementally the rest of your life. And when you come time to die, you say, I didn't have a moment of revival. I had a life of revival. Look what it says there. As the will. Hey, we got to call to God. We got to just cry out to Him, love Him, call to Him. And He is the one that helps. But looking back at what it says, will you not revive, revival, revive us? Again, let me speak about this word revival. We're going to look at that in the next few nights. Tonight, we're looking at the purpose of revival. And tomorrow night, we'll look at the condition of the revival. And on Tuesday night, we'll talk about the plea of revival. And Wednesday night, we'll finish by talking about the grace of revival. But what is biblical revival? Biblical revival is when God's people come back to Him and rejoice in Him and find your satisfaction and your fulfillment and your glory in Jesus Christ. And notice what it says there. Will you not revive us again? I want to pause for a moment and I just want to lay this out here for you as a friend. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to tear jerk you. It's just not who I am. But revival is for saved people who have gone astray and the dust has settled in your life and you're not walking with God like you once were. You need revival tonight. Will you not revive us again? I want to say to you tonight that if you're in this room and you've never been revived for the first time, you've never been given true life by Jesus Christ, you are lost in your sins. And the Bible teaches that 
God created the heavens and the earth and He created humanity and He created the whole world perfect. Amen? He created it right. There was nothing wrong. And He put Adam and Eve in the garden and they messed it up for the rest of us, right? For by one man sin entered into the world and therefore death passed upon all men. And maybe you be in here tonight and say, I'd do better than Adam. I, I beg the differ with you, right? Adam failed. And when Adam failed, we all failed. Then sin came into the world and wickedness and unrighteousness and all of us tonight groan in our sins. And you look out on the world and you watch the news. And don't you sense tonight that there is an oughtness in the world. Things are not the way they ought to be. The nation should not be against each other. I am telling you something. There ought not to be a racial inequality. There ought not to be the way we would treat somebody differently based upon their ethnicity. Rather, we would see them in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's something wrong with the world when we would treat somebody the way that we treat them there are wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of problems in the world and all of that is due to sin how I want you to know tonight the world is not the way that God wants it to be and let me bring this down to you you are not the way that God wants you to be and you know that you know that But what I want you to know is that God didn't leave us without hope. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be born of the Virgin Mary. And Jesus lived a perfect and a sinless life. And He went to the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says that He that knew no sin became sin for us. Do you understand what that means tonight? All of your wickedness, all of your shame, all of your guilt, everything that lies in the corners and closets of your life that you don't want anybody, sir, to know about, all of the sin of your wicked life, the Son of the living God died for. And three days later, He rose again with victory over death, hell, and the grave. And any man or woman or boy or girl tonight who God is working on your heart if you will lay down your weapons of pride if you'll lay down your weapons of religion well I, I'm not going to what are you talking about you sense in your heart that you're lost I've been a member of this church 20 years you're lost you're scared to say anything about it because of what other people will say if you're lost tonight and you know that Jesus died for you and rose again. I am telling you on the authority of the Scripture, run to Jesus and put your faith in Him alone and He will save you and change you. Revival is for believers. Salvation is for the lost. Look back down to the text. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. Been uh, staying last night and today with uh, Bo and Ashley. And by the way, he didn't ask me to say this, but aren't you thankful you have the pastor you have here? Amen. Amen. And uh, been staying with them. And uh, does my heart good. Don't they have one of the most beautiful babies in all the world? Right, Randy? She's, she's so cute. 
And it does my heart good when I, when I watch the two of them. And Wren laughs and has joy and cackles when mommy and daddy come around. Amen? I got a seven-month-old son at the house. And uh, when I come home at the end of the day, uh, mama brings him to the door. And, you know, he doesn't know everything that's going on. But when he sees daddy, he starts jumping up and down all spastic. Hopefully he won't see this sermon 20 years from now, but he's got this little thing with his hand. I don't know what it is, man. I'm telling you, I've got cuts on my nose and my eye, and he, when he gets excited, he's, he's like he's on a bull or something like that, just over and over again. What do you think it does for my heart? What do you think it does to their heart? There's many of you in here tonight, and you've got, uh, you've got children, or you've got grandchildren, or maybe you've got a spouse or a good friend. Sometime you come to see them and you see that joy on their face when they see you. And what does it do to your heart? What do you think it does to God's heart? When rather than finding joy in the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, you find joy in Jesus. I told you, I, I'm doing the best I can. I don't even know what a revival preacher is. I'm just a pastor, so I've I got to take a minute. I got a second yet. Yeah. Hey, listen, let me just try and drive this home in a way that you might be able to take out of here tonight, okay? I've been I've been wrestling the past few weeks with this text and trying to think, Lord, what does it mean for me to rejoice in you? What does it look like? I, I think for these sisters over here, it looks like them singing to the glory of God. Amen. But when I sing, it's like a nail gun to the head. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure that Jesus, I'm not sure the heart of God is made happy when I sing. Oh, I think that's okay. The Bible does say that we're to make a joyful noise to the Lord. So, man, listen, I want to say, when you leave here tonight, maybe you ought to take one of these songs with you and just sing that on your way home. Maybe you ought to wake up tomorrow and get in your car to go to work and just sing a song to God. Sing it loud. Sing it like these ladies sing. Ain't nobody in that car going to know whether you hit all the right notes or not. Sing it to the glory of God. Now what the book of Colossians 3 says, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts. Rejoicing in the Lord looks like singing to God. What else? How else, Lord, can I rejoice in You? Maybe, maybe rejoicing in the Lord looks like reading God's Word. If God thought that it was so important to put down His Word in written revelation and have all of these thousands of years men and women give their life's blood to bring you a Bible, why on earth would it sit on your shelf? Why don't you rejoice in God by reading God's holy Word and finding out what He wants to do with your life? Do you find joy in reading God's Word? How else do you find joy? How do you rejoice in the Lord? Maybe two other applications for you. Maybe rejoicing in the Lord looks like following the life and the teaching of Jesus. There's many of you in this room that have read through the Gospels, right? You've read the life of Jesus. Have you ever lived the life of Jesus? 
So see, what do you mean by that? Well, listen, I know that you know a lot about the life of Jesus, but the Bible says that Jesus went off into the mountain to pray. Do you pray? The Bible says that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Do you wash the feet of the folks that are sitting in this room? I'm not necessarily talking about physically, but I'm saying meeting physical needs and loving on your neighbor and talking to them and encouraging them and being a brother or sister in community. Do you do the things that Jesus did? Jesus fasted. In fact, Jesus told His disciples, this kind can come not by any other way, but by prayer and fasting. When is the last time you rejoiced in the Lord by missing a meal? I know in a Baptist church that's heresy. And you might be saying, Brother Steve, I'm not sure you miss enough meals to preach that sermon. But I just want to say to us, even to my own self, are we rejoicing in the Lord through fasting and prayer and the Word and following and service? When you leave here, put teeth to the sermon. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Are you living that kind of life? Hey, Are you, uh, are you rejoicing in your suffering? Do you know how to suffer well? I want to tell you something. They may be brothers and sisters, I don't know, but those brothers and sisters that are on the television that would preach some sort of heretical gospel to you called the prosperity gospel, that if you just have enough faith and you love Jesus, everything's going to be all right. That is birthed out of the pit of hell. Because I want to tell you, there are boys and girls and men and women in Darfur tonight who are going through genocide and mass hunger that know Jesus and they have the satisfaction of Christ in their heart above all things. Knowing Christ and following Christ does not promise you a life void of suffering what it really does is promise you a life of suffering and what the scripture would say to us is let us rejoice even in my pain isn't that what the scripture says isn't that what paul says in colossians that we have been granted with him not only to believe on him but to suffer with him Every time you suffer for Christ, you rejoice in Him that a bit of the cross, that a bit of His life is in you. And isn't that what Jesus said? Lay down your life and pick up your cross. It's not just an emblem to wear around your neck or in your ears. It is the truth to take up death and follow Him. Let me finish on this note this evening. Verse 1 through 3 deals with the past of what Christ has done for our sins. Verse 4 through verse 11 deal with the purpose of revival that we might rejoice in the Lord. And verse number 12 and 13 deal with the future. Look at the tense as it shifts. Look at verse number 12. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. When this is being written, it's a double fulfillment that's in the mind of the psalmist. 
You see where it says in verse number 13 that He'll make that way straight for His footsteps? Is that not reminiscent and ringing and echoing in your ears where Isaiah says that there will, become, there will come one who will make the pathway straight for the coming of the Messiah? And isn't that what it says in the Gospels that when John the Baptist came that he was the one making straight the paths for the Lord? The fulfillment of this is in the coming of Jesus and we can find all of our rejoicing and all of our satisfaction in Christ alone on His sacrifice on the cross in His resurrection, in His life. And I tell you, in tonight, in this church, for every believer under the sound of my voice, run back to Jesus and find your joy in Him alone. Throw down your idols. Throw down your sin. Take all of it and throw it away. The Apostle Paul said, I count all things for loss that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection... You know what he said? Not only the bad things, but the Apostle Paul said, even the good things. For I am a Pharisee of Pharisees, born of the tribe of Benjamin, and I am a legalist. I have accomplished all of these things, good things, I tell you. And you know what? There might be some brothers and sisters in this room this evening, and you might put your fingers in your suspenders and say, I've been in this church uh, for 115 years. How long have you been here? 1960. You might, you might put your thumb in your suspenders and say, I, I, I was born in church. I was born a Christian. I've got great roots. I've got great family. All of that's wonderful. But if you're trusting in that, you ought to count it but loss for the joy of Jesus. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and find your joy in Jesus. Not only did He come the first time to die for your sins, He is coming again. Amen? And He'll make all things right. He'll bring justice for those who are underserved. He will take away all that is wrong and establish His righteous rule forever. And we will rule and reign with Jesus. I'm going to make a cardinal sin of a pastor. I'm going to close this, but don't you close yours. We're about to enter into a time of invitation, but because we're just getting to know each other in the night, I want you just to know this is, this is us doing business together. I know this may not be normal for you, but in a moment, I'm going to have us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just want you already to be praying. But I'm pleading with you tonight in two ways. If you're here this evening, you, you might be here tonight and you say, you know what? Every time the Gospel is preached, a preacher ought to give an altar call. If you believe that tonight, you think every time the preacher preaches, there ought to be an altar call. Give me an amen. amen. Alright, now... If you believe that, then why won't you come tonight? In just a minute, we'll bow our heads and close our eyes. And we'll stand to sing. And if you said amen, you belong here. They say, well, I don't have any sin to confess. Why don't you come pray for another brother or sister? Well, I don't know about that. You ought to pray. Don't just say it. Believe it and act on it. You're here tonight and you really want a revival, a restoration, some joy back in your soul. I invite you to come and pray and make things right with God in your heart. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes with me.
Hey, listen, just heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around for just a moment. Yeah, just, just pray right where you are. If you're here tonight and you need to make something right in your heart, when, when, when we start to have this invitation, I want you just to come and pray. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come too. There are people here that will take you to the side and share Christ with you. You do business to God. Please, please I implore you tonight, do business in your soul with God. This is not just another meeting. This is Christ meeting us now. Make the change right now.